Good morning, Pulpit Rock community. It is so great to be back with you all again. I've had the privilege of sharing a few times over the years, and I am just so honored to be welcomed back, even if I am just a pretty good preacher. Just kidding. He, he immediately said, I didn't mean to say pretty good. I meant to say very good. Anyway, um, so my name's Laura. Um, my husband and I founded the Exodus Road, which is a counter-human trafficking organization. We have a U.S. office here in Colorado, and we also have national teams in six countries around the world. For those of you who haven't heard about the Exodus Road before, perhaps if you're new around Pulpit Rock, this community has been an incredibly generous supporter of ours for many years now. Um, and we primarily do three things. We help police fight human trafficking crime, utilizing local nationals. We do training and education um, to at-risk communities or also practitioners on the front lines. And then we also have various aftercare programming in many of the countries where we work. So that's kind of what we do right now. And I wanted to start off my time by giving a little bit of an update because <clears throat> Pulpit Rock, at Christmas last year, you all came alongside us and you helped fund two really important projects. And we have been hard at work. And I just wanted to show you some pictures and give you some, some details of the impact that you're giving at last year's um, Mercy Campaign offering had for the Exodus Road community. So... The first thing that you all helped us fund was you helped us to launch into the Philippines. This is the second year of this project, but we had a unique opportunity um, to move into the Philippines, and we're now in year two of that project, and we have a team, and we have a foundation, and I am really excited to share that. Um, so far, your team has helped police pull out 94 survivors of human trafficking from trafficking scenarios. Um, they've impacted a lot more, but those are the survivors that are by definition under the law, uh, human trafficking victims. So it's 10 cases, um, and then they helped impact 21 arrests. So the impact on human trafficking crime is beginning to become significant. We're one of the only organizations in the country that's doing that type of work, assisting police. And just Thursday, this is hot off the presses, but just Thursday, they worked with police at one of the biggest operations that that specific police in that area had ever done. And um, there were 39 survivors that were pulled out, out, but about 80 women impacted. So really, really exciting work. And you all are a critical part of that. So thank you. Also, the other project that you helped fund was our Freedom Home in Thailand. So one of our dreams since the beginning was what does it look like to not only come alongside survivors in the moment of, a, of an operation, a rescue operation, or removing them from a place of abuse, but but understanding that's really the first part of a really long journey of human freedom. Um, there's a lot of healing that has to take place. There's a lot of counseling. There's a lot that they need. And so in um, last fall, we were able to open up the Freedom Home in Thailand. Um, it's a safe house and a mentorship program for adult survivors and their children. So that was really neat. We were able to open it up as well to single moms who had young kids. And this 
beautiful lady in the black. Her name is Sula. She's the director of the project. She's a Cambodian woman. And so far, that project has served eight clients full-time in the home, and, but they've impacted about 38 women who have received some kind of care and support from our social workers and our trauma-informed um, counseling that we offer. You can see the numbers there, but I love this, this reality that Pulpit Rock here in Colorado Springs is playing a significant role, not only in the lives of the clients that we have in the home, the women, but also in 13 young children. So this next generation that's, that has an opportunity to be raised in safety and in a safe, loving environment. And it's really exciting because one of these women, one of the eight, has actually just finished her mentorship program and is now back reintegrated into her community and she is starting a salon business. And so that's just super exciting. That's the dream, not to um, necessarily have, have care for these women for forever, but what does it look like to come alongside them in their time of crisis, in their time of healing, and give them the tools and the skills and the care and the support that they need to be able to make new lives for themselves. And you all are part of that. So before I say anything in my pretty good sermon, I want to say this. I'm going to just keep saying that all day. Okay, before I say anything in my pretty good sermon, I just want to say thank you. Um, your generosity and your giving is creating life change for people that really need it in really, really dark situations. And so thank you for continuing to invest with us. Um, one of the things, as I was thinking about what I wanted to share today, I was thinking about, you know, I've been in this work for a decade, and I was thinking about journey, this idea of journey. And as I was thinking about journey, and I was thinking about how I have viewed God and how that has morphed over the years from my experience, I really had to start at the beginning, and I had to start with a girl in high school who loved to wear Christian t-shirts. So stick with me. I was raised in the South. I'm from North Carolina. And you'll see a picture on the screen of me and one of my friends. And I'm the one, it's kind of dark, but I'm the one that was wearing the Every Knee Shall Bow t-shirt, okay? So I, I had a Christian t-shirt collection that would make everyone proud. And I'm not even kidding. I, my favorite one was this t-shirt that had two... Um, two pairs of sneakers on it, and one of the sneakers had little legs in it, and the other pair of sneakers had, like, swoosh marks, like, like the legs weren't there anymore, like the rapture had come, maybe. And so at the, at the bottom of the shirt, it said, and I wore this down the halls to my public high school, get right or get left. That's what the shirt said. <laughs> so I just, I just tell you that because I want to give you a little perspective, a little context this, is, um, this was my view of, of God. It was very formulaic, and it was very works-driven, right? My favorite verse when I was in my young 20s was in Matthew. It's when Jesus describes what it means to follow God, and you all are familiar with it. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple has to deny himself and come and follow me. <clears throat> and I loved that verse. And I felt like there was a formula in that verse for me in my young 20s. And the formula was this, that if I sacrifice and if I follow, then I will get discipleship, right? Like sacrifice plus following equals discipleship. And then in my mind, in my perhaps privileged 
conservative American mind, I began to make this small shift that I didn't even realize was happening, but I started to think about the disciples, and I thought about, I started not to think about the suffering that they endured, but I started to think about all the miracles that they got to see. They got to see the feeding of the 5,000, and they got to see Jesus walk on water, and they got to see people raised from the dead. And so in my mind, in my young 20s, right after the Christian t-shirt wearing stage, I began to really think that following God was this formula, that it was sacrifice plus following equals miracles, okay, equals miracles, okay? So sacrifice plus following equals miracles. And so in my young 20s and even into my 30s, had kids, did life, and I began to define success by how many miracles I was seeing, the ways that God showed up for me. And so when I was in my young 30s and we decided to move overseas to Thailand with nine suitcases and seven kids, I was ready to see miracles. We were going to run a children's home on a two-year contract and I was ready to see miracles. This, this precious, do you ever look back at pictures of yourself and you just say, oh, darling, <laughs> oh, darling, <laughs> Oh, you just didn't know what was coming. But truly, I do have compassion for myself because this, this sweet darling did not know really what she was getting into. And this sweet darling believed in this formula that said that as long as you follow God and as long as you sacrifice and give up stuff, then things are going to work out for you and you're going to see miracles. And so I served noodles. This was our very first night in Thailand. I served noodles and almost had a panic attack because I thought, what are we doing? And that whole first year, I will tell you this, it was the worst year of my life. My following, my big sacrifice ended up being the worst year of my life. I had a panic attack every time I tried to get in the car and drive anywhere because I was driving in Southeast Asia with three small children. I had no friends. We were in rural Asia. Um, My young son who was here in the red, he hated where we were living so much. He hated where we were living so much that we had some friends that visited us from Colorado and they were on their way home and he met them at the top of the stairs with his suitcase packed and he was about five. And he said, please, can you just, they can take me and I can stay with my best friend in Woodland Park. They can take me and you guys can just come pick me up when you're done here (laughs) at five. Oh, mother's heart, right? We had literal, also, we had literal rats in our kitchen. And I hate mice, and maybe I will tell that story sometime, but we had giant rats in our kitchen. It was horrible. And so what I began to believe in my, when I was, I guess, 32, this was the new formula. The formula that first year in Thailand of great sacrifice and following was this. It was sacrifice plus following equals Failure, disaster, and utter destruction of everything you thought you were good at and believed in. Can anyone, like, relate to that, though? 
for real? Like, can anyone relate to that? You think you're doing something that God's called you into, and then it just is an utter disaster from every corner. And so this, this idea started to form in my, definitely in that, that uh, crisis year of, of when I was 32. And I think if, if you were to zoom out and you were to say, well, yeah, that was 10 years ago. Things have gotten a lot better. I mean, look at the miracles you're living. You've seen over 1,600 survivors freed, and you've seen aftercare shelters, and you're launching training programs for Brazilian police officers, and, and this huge community has come around in support of this really hard thing. Laura, you have seen lots of miracles. But I will tell you, if I could, if I could open and give you a peek behind the curtain of the website numbers, I can tell you that actually, my journey in the last eight and a half years, I would say that my formula was this. It was actually sacrifice plus following equals pain and disappointment. Maybe not as dramatic as that first year, but, but that was the general theme that I, that I was beginning to experience. Because, because while, yes, progress, yes, new countries, yes, operations that were successful, there was, there was a, a lot that has not gone well. <laughs> and I will tell you the truth. Ten years in, I have wanted to quit almost every single week of this work. Almost every single week. I have said, God, can you please give me something else to do? Because this is really hard. And it's always really hard. I thought that I would get, that I would be able to experience organizational success. We were doing the right things, so we were working in excellence. We were, we were uh, not helping when it hurts. We were, we were utilizing nationals. I thought, okay, organizational success is going to come. It's going to be the skyrocket. And we haven't had a skyrocket of success. We haven't had the million-dollar check that has come in. I thought that I'm a writer, and I love to make content, and I love to listen to God through my words and through sharing that. And I thought 10 years ago, well, this is a great, this makes sense. I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to follow, and then God's going to give me an Instagram following. <laughs> I really did think, though, that, that this was a way that God was going to use me. He was going to let me become this social justice voice this normal mom who has this gift of writing is going to be able to share her story. And I will tell you that I have written, and I actually looked at my, my stuff the other day. I've written over 2,000 posts in 10 years on Instagram. And my 18-year-old daughter, who doesn't even like social media, posted three things and has like almost as many followers as I do. Oh, just pain and disappointment and staffing troubles and 
betrayals and all the ways that I messed up in leadership and the balls I dropped and the way I miscommunicated and the time that my, all the times that my ego has gotten in the way or I've expected too much from people. Oh my gosh, just piles of pain and disappointment. And about a year and a half ago, I, I think I started revisiting this formula. I started revisiting this formula and I started to think about, hey, hold on. Maybe, maybe it's not the, maybe this formula is not right. Maybe it's the definition that's not right. I started just to dive in a little bit more to this idea of perspective. And I was led to this story about the Israelites. Go figure, the Israelites. They teach us a lot, don't they? Um, If you have your Bibles, you can open it or you can look at the screen. I'm going to read a passage for you about the Israelites. What then will we say? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that's by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because their, speaking of the Israelites, their pursuit was not by faith, but as if it were by works. Here's here's the, the kicker. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and the one who believes in me will never be put to shame. So I'm going to unpack this for a second, and then I'm going to share the message version of the same passage because I think it captures a a different perspective and another heart of of what is being said here. So the Israelites were the religious ones. They were the ones that had the formula, right? From the very beginning, they had the formula. But they had the formula wrong, and because they had the formula wrong, they actually missed the very one they were supposed to be waiting for, right? Right? When Jesus finally enters the, the scene, when the Messiah finally comes, who welcomes him? The welcoming committee is some poor shepherds, three kings from Persia who looked at the stars, and some livestock. So the Israelites completely missed the very miracle they were supposed to be watching for. Why? Because they were expecting something different. They were expecting a king. They were expecting power. They were expecting a winner. (laughs) They were not expecting a poor kid in a stable. And so they missed it. And not only did they miss it at the beginning, but also Jesus becomes this stumbling stone for these Israelites. So the very Messiah that they're supposed to be waiting for, and the whole story is hung upon, is the Bible says it's like a rock that the Israelites keep tripping over. <laughs> oh, wow, talk about missing it. I love how the message says it. It says this, and Israel who seemed so interested in reading and talking about what God was doing missed it. How could they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. They were absorbed in what they themselves were doing. They were so absorbed, oh, this is a kicker, in their God projects that they didn't notice God right in front of them, like a huge rock in the middle of the road. And so they stumbled into him and went sprawling. Isaiah, again, gives us a metaphor for pulling it together. Careful, 
I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone that you can't get around, but the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Ugh. You'll find me on the way, not in the way. They were so absorbed with their God projects that they didn't notice God right in front of them, like a huge rock in the middle of the road. So they stumbled into him and went sprawling. And this is what I have started to learn. I'm on the path of learning in the last year and a half. And it's this. That it's not that God hasn't given me miracles It's that my definition of the miraculous has been very wrong. I'll say that again. It's not that God has not allowed me to see miracles with my own two eyes. It's that my definition of the miraculous has been very wrong. I think in metaphors, um, I'm a former middle school teacher, and I was thinking about this, and I thought, it's kind of like God is this this master treasure hunter, and he brings us together, and he says, all right, all right, followers, all right, children, I want you to find precious stones along the way. There are precious stones all along the way, and we're like, we got our door explorer backpacks on, and we're like, all right, God, we're ready. What's that theme song? I can't remember that, but anyway, um, so there, we're ready, and we are looking for rubies and diamonds and emeralds and sapphires. Only rubies and diamonds and emeralds and sapphires. We are only looking for the shiny things, the easy things, the successful things, the rich things, the things that make us feel good about ourselves and our journey. And so here we are, treasure hunters, and we're looking for rubies and diamonds, and we don't see them, or we see a few, but not very many. And in the process, we keep stubbing our toes and falling on the rocks that are in the middle of the path. And it's like Jesus says, darling, my precious stones are the rocks. It's not that when I said find precious stones along the way, you're going to get them. It's, it's not that I did not give them to you. It's that you were looking for the wrong ones. And that's what the Israelites were doing, right? (laughs) They were walking and they were tripping over the very miracles that were right in front of them because their definition of the miraculous was wrong. So here's the question. This is the question. This is the five-word question that my friends has radically impacted the way that I view God and following. And it's this, just this question. What is the actual miracle? That's a good one. What is the actual miracle? Because the miracle that I wanted when I set out, when I was that young mom at the noodle stand, the miracle I wanted was an easy one. The miracle I wanted was accolades. The miracle I wanted was for people to like me. The miracle I got was that everyone doesn't like me. And I have learned through that that God loves me, and I actually don't care if people like me or not. 
The miracle I wanted was the million-dollar check so that we could just not worry about money anymore. The miracle I got was a weekly, monthly, quarterly dependence on a God who provides and who shows up in really unexpected breadcrumb kind of ways. The miracle I wanted was that I would become like some Mother Teresa, Steve Jobs, William Wallace, social media influencer. The miracle I got was relative anonymity that has actually helped keep my ego really in check. Right? And that's the, that is the way of following God. It, it is not that there are not miracles that we are experiencing. It is that we are missing them because we're looking for the wrong ones. So what's the right one to look for? What's the actual miracle to look for? Here's the definition. The actual miracle to work for, look for, is any kind of circumstance, person, relationship, season that does any of these three things that helps you understand that you are loved by God, that helps you love God back, and that helps you become like Jesus. That's actually the definition of the miracle. That's the definition of the rock in the road. That's the definition of of what Jesus' whole point of ministry was, right? So this is what I want you to do. I want us to take this practical moment as we close our time together. I want you to take this practical moment. I want you to think of a person, situation, season, or struggle that is difficult right now for you. It might be a situation where you feel like you have stepped out and you have followed God into the hard, deep waters, and it's just pain and disappointment that you're sitting in right now, and so you're struggling with that. Or it might be something you see on the horizon, or it might even be that your season is not a season of intense pain, but it's just a season of boredom. (laughs) Whatever season you're in right now, I want you to ask this. Think about it in your mind. You can write it down if you want, or just think about it in your mind. And I want you to put this rubric on top of that particular situation. Number one, is this situation, person, struggle, season, is it helping me know that I am loved by God more? Tell yourself yes or no. Ask God about that. Two, is this situation, person, season, struggle, helping you love God back more? Three, is this situation, person, season, struggle making you more like Christ? And if the answer to any of those things is yes, then you are living the miracle. You're living the actual miracle. And I think so often it is our expectations of God that is the greatest disappointment, right? We get sold this, this version of Christ following. The one on Instagram, actually. <laughs> that is actually not the true one. I want to tell you a story about one of my favorite women of the faith. Her name was Amy Carmichael. And she was a, a Dutch woman who lived for 55 years in India. And she was a single woman, and she ended up really impacting children that were being abused in temples in India. That's her there. Um, They called her Amma, which means mother, which is beautiful. 
But what a lot of people don't know about Amy Carmichael, this kind of powerhouse of a, of a woman, what a lot of people don't know is that she was walking one day on her property and she actually fell into a pit, into a hole. Like she literally fell, not, not metaphorically, like actually fell into a hole. She fell into a pit. And that fall actually made her bedridden for the next 20 years of her life. So the final 20 years of Amy Carmichael's life in India, she was actually confined to her bedroom. But if you look at this, the writings of Amy Carmichael, she wrote 16 books during that time. She wrote tons of poetry, tons of prayer books. And there is a closeness and a an otherworldliness about a lot of what she wrote, especially in those last 20 years. And, and she will say, I would not have written as much if, if I could have been doing the work. And one time a young woman wrote to her and asked her, Amy, what's it, what's it like to be a missionary? And Amy just wrote back, it is a chance to die. That was her, that was her response to what's it, what is it like to be a missionary? It is a chance to die. And I love that reminder, that story, because I think from the outside looking in, you think, oh man, Amy had a good first 35 years in India, but her last 20 were kind of a disaster. She didn't really do a lot. But actually, if we look at, if we look at the definition of the miraculous with God's lens of the definition of the miraculous, actually, she was really living a miracle in those last 20 years because if you look at her writings, it was this season where she understood God's love more, loved him back more, and became more like him at this deep soul level. I love that story and I love that reminder because I think so often in our world, the stories that we put up of the heroes of the faith are the stories that are on big stages. And oftentimes, that's, that's not, not that those people can't be living the miracle, but oftentimes, the miracle comes in a lot, a lot more quiet ways, and, and a lot more, it looks a lot more like rocks in the path, rather than baskets of rubies and emeralds. So I don't know where you are today, as I wrap up, I don't know if you are in a place where you maybe identify with the girl in the Christian t-shirt. <laughs> you're young in your faith journey and you're just starting out and, and you want to follow Jesus and you want to sacrifice and you're, you're up for whatever he calls you to do. I just want to leave you with this. I want to temper your expectations and challenge you with this, that you will see miracles on your journey, but they might not look like what you expect. And alternatively, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and maybe you're in a place where you feel pretty let down by him, and you feel pretty discouraged, that it feels like all you see is rocks around you, and there's no rubies, and there hasn't been rubies ever since the beginning, and you're in that place of pain and disappointment, I want to challenge you also with this, that you will actually also see miracles. And in fact, you are living miracles right now, the actual ones. 
but the challenge is just to see them. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song together. Dear God, thank you so much for being a God of miracles, for being a God that comes by way of common rocks and not just rubies and diamonds. Help us to see what you are doing in our lives. And help us to follow, help us to love you more. Help us to know we're loved by you more. Help us to be like you more. We love you. Amen.